Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. So, it would be fair if coming into today you were like, what's this about? That, that would be fair, right? Anyone, you can do like a, a sly show of hands if you don't want to fully, uh, you know, give that, that, that away. Who was like, yeah, miracle offering, what, what, are we, what, what is this? Quick show of hands? Yeah, some people are like, yeah, just a little bit. It's all right, this, this is a, a safe environment. I won't look. Yeah, show of hands? Yeah, good, thought so. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, but, but it's interesting, yeah? In, in, that, in the last kind of couple of, of weeks, in the last month, really, we've been in a series, Our House, God's House. Who's enjoyed that series so far? Yeah, me too. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, it's been interesting because we've looked at stuff like the fact that, that we are a people who embrace servanthood, that, that we serve not just to get a job done or, or to earn kudos in doing something, but, but we serve because in serving we emulate Christ. We've looked at the fact that, that we are a people of community, not of individualism or keeping people in arm's length, but that we invite people in. Last week we had fun. Uh, talking about the fact that we are a people of holiness, that we don't do just whatever we feel like doing on a whim, but we live in pursuit of the, the way and the character of Jesus. And so today as we start to take up, and this is just the, the start, there's no pressure today, but as we start to take up this, this miracle offering, I want to look at what it, what it is, the idea that we are a people of, of generosity. And I wonder, when you hear generosity in church, what comes to mind for you? You know, it, it would be fair enough if maybe you were honest and, and what came to mind was Kenneth Copeland and, and private jets and prosperity gospel and, and, and sowing a seed, right? And maybe getting sent like a bit of holy dirt that you plant in your ground and you grow a money tree. Maybe that's what comes to mind for you. It's what comes to mind for me sometimes. And, and, and there can be that feeling when we speak about money in church of, oh yeah, I, I knew it. Knew it. Just waiting. Been here six months. Knew we'd get to a money sermon, right? They're all the same. After my wallet. It's true, we are, but not for the reason that you think. And, and so my, my aim today is, first of all, I want to release you from any compulsion. Uh, I, I want to release you because it says in the Bible to, to release you from compulsion, and I like doing what the Bible says. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, if you turn your eyes to the screen, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so I want to start today from the basis of it is not my intent to, to compel you to give. It, it is not my intent to make you feel like you have to give. It is my intent that at the end of today you would want to give, but because we have provoked you, because you have been convinced that actually giving is, is a blessing, giving is an opportunity. See, I, I want to say again, this today is not a sales pitch. Right, I, I will not be, and this is an intentional decision we have made as a church, we will not be talking about the purchases or investments that we'd like to make with the miracle offering. Although there are purchases and investments that we would like to make. And, and on the other side of that, we also don't want you to be like, oh man, what is this? Where does this go? What happens with this? We, and so we want to make sure that we tell a really good story of when we use miracle offering funds, we can point to it and say, hey, your generosity helped to empower this. Because I want to say that there is a need. We do believe that God is building something miraculous here, and our giving enables that. We, we believe that we are building, you know, like that slide started. I don't know about you, but, but as we were going through the, the, the house that we're building, something in me got a little bit emotional. 
Because I love the fact that we are building a generational house that serves and empowers. I love the fact that we are building a house of worship and generosity, of salvation and freedom. And, and you should be confident when you give that your giving is being well utilized, but your confidence that your giving is being well utilized is not the reason you should give. Does that make sense? So today, and, and you know, if you missed Miracle Offering Information Night, uh, we had a bit of that there. We can drill down into it more. If you missed it and you'd like to, to do it, we can do it again this week, right? I, I loved it. It's a great presentation. I'll do it as many times. You just do it to you. You can book it in with me and I'll play my slides for you. It'll be, anyway. But, but what I really want to preach on this morning isn't, hey, give to this because it's a great cause and these are the things that we can do. But I want to speak on the, the, the fact that giving is a blessing for the giver. In fact, my, my key premise today is, is that giving is an act, I'm pointing because it's going to show up on the screen, there we go, that giving is an act of spiritual warfare. And I want to acknowledge that that's two things. That's both a very Christian statement, right? what, Christ, a spiritual, what, what, do, what do these words mean, right? And, and it's also a fairly big call. And, and so what I'd love to do today is to unpack this idea a little bit. Is that all right? I got permission? It's good, because I've also got the microphone, which uh, power imbalance, so I shouldn't really ask for permission. Uh, but before I do kind of unpack this idea, I, I want to start with a very important premise, an aside, yeah? That, that as I speak today on the fact that giving is an act of spiritual warfare, if you're here today and you're in bad debt, and, and so by bad debt, I don't mean like a student loan or a mortgage. I've got both of those things. I don't actually have a mortgage at the moment. We sold our house. We're planning on getting a mortgage again, uh, God willing, right? Christchurch housing market aside. Let's play for that later. Um, but, but that actually, that, that as we give, giving is an act of spiritual warfare. But if you are in bad debt, we are not asking you to give, right? We do not ask, and we would not want you to, to go more into bad debt, to take out like a, a bad credit card loan or a higher purchase or predatory lending to give. But because in fact, when we're in that sort of debt, that debt is our master. That debt determines what we can and cannot do with our life. And so if you are in bad debt, your act of spiritual warfare is getting out from under that debt so that, so that you can live a free life, so that you can live a life in which you can do what you feel God's calling you and telling you to do without having these things constraining you. And, oh, I'd love to do that, but I can't because I've got this debt. And we don't just want to say, hey, get out of bad debt and then leave it at that because no one's in bad debt. And it's like, yeah, no, I'd love to stay in this bad debt. This is my plan. It's a lovely place for me to be. And so we'd also love to come alongside you. If there's something that we can do uh, to, to help you get out of that debt, we'd love to. We'd love to connect you. Uh, I know Fiona's got a bunch of programs that are run within the community, like Christians Against Poverty, where kind of money management, uh, financial literacy programs, we can come alongside. And, and ultimately, we'd love to run some of those programs ourselves to help you come up with a plan of getting out from under that debt. So if you're there, we, we would love to support you, but we need to know that you're there to be able to support you. So come and have a conversation with me after the service, with Penny, with one of our leaders, mention it at the help desk, talk to Fiona, or if all of that's too scary, send a message on, on Facebook or social media. Say, hey, this is a situation I'm in, an email, whatever it takes, yeah? And we would love to come alongside you and help you in that because we believe that you should be free and that that is your primary act of spiritual warfare is getting out from under that debt. So Important aside, 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 if you are not in the, and it, that also means if you're in bad debt, the rest of the sermon is not like a, don't tune out, because we believe you're going to get out from the debt, and then these principles apply to you. This is something that you can look forward to, uh, and it still lands with you uh, as well. So, so aside, aside, why talk about money? 
very uncomfortable. Last week we talked about sex. This week we talked about money. Like I'm a glutton for punishment. Come on. I was like, we'll just get it all done, get all the offense, then we can work through it, and then we'll just go back to happy, clappy sermons about just fun stuff. That, that, that's the plan. It's not the plan. Uh, we're speaking about money because we're committed to the whole of Scripture. And actually, in the Bible, money is talked about an awful lot. And, and in fact, it might make some of us uncomfortable, but, but we'd also probably be uncomfortable following Jesus if that is the case. Because of Jesus' parables, he told 38 parables, 16 talked about money and possessions. And so if we're here today and we're like, oh, the church only talks about money because it, it wants my wallet and it, it wants to, to, to spend money frivolously on, on things and it's just, you know, it's a, it's a scam, it's a pyramid scheme, it's multi-level marketing um, with, with like a spirituality stuck on it. I, I want to suggest, why then did Jesus talk about money? Because we have to apply that same logic to Jesus, surely. Like, ah, Jono's trying to get my wallet because he's multi-level marketing, just trying to do what Jesus did, right? You can judge if that's a good idea, if I'm doing well or not, that's fine, but the intent is there. And so I was thinking about this during the week. Jesus, he spoke to a bunch of different audiences. But the, the same people, the people that were always there were his disciples. And so if he shares these 38 parables, 16 of which are about money, to, to all these different audiences and the disciples are always there, then the, the, the core thing that's always the same is the disciples. And so then the question must be, was Jesus trying to get the disciples' money? If we're following this idea of churches after our money, if this is what Jesus did, if Jesus talked about money and possessions and 40% of his illustrations, was his ministry just a fundraising drive? Just trying to get some nice new sandals, a sweet new robe, right? Get a great donkey, live the high life. No, and, and in fact, he was trying to get their hearts, right? That's why Jesus talks about money and possessions. Let me read it directly from him uh, rather than paraphrasing him. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 this is Jesus speaking. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's interesting. So often we get this quote backwards, don't we? We, we, we misinterpret it, we misquote it as where your heart is, there your treasure is. That, that where our treasure is, where our money, where our resources are invested is like an indicator of, our, of where our heart is. And that's true, but it actually goes beyond that, that it's not just an indicator of where our heart is, but where we put our treasure, our heart follows. That we, we cast our treasure into a place that our heart then proceeds to be. It's actually saying where you put your money, your heart will go. And then if, if in Proverbs, it says, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So, so if our hearts are where our treasure is and we need to guard our hearts above all else, then what we do with our treasure is important. Let, let, let me say that again. If, if Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And if the Proverbs tell us that we should guard our hearts above all else from, for, from them flow the, the issues of life, then what we do with our treasure is important because it will affect where our heart is and where our heart is will affect the trajectory of the rest of our life. See, uh, uh, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians, in fact, turn, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 to 11. We're going to read this, uh, and, and we'll get nice and uncomfortable in reading it, because Paul doesn't hold back any punches. Um, Paul's good like that. Uh, and, and then we'll, we'll unpack it a little bit. It says this, 2 Corinthians chapter, eight, chapter 9, sorry, verses 8 to 11, says this, God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it about the one who trusts in him, he throws caution to the wind, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. Someone feel a little bit uncomfortable at that? Hmm. Throwing caution, caution to the wind. thought I was meant to keep caution, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. This does not sound like wise advice, Jono. Uh, continuing, 
says, this most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. I just want to acknowledge that a passage like this makes us uncomfortable. We read something like this about extravagant generosity, about throwing caution to the wind, giving with reckless abandon. We're like, this doesn't seem like financial literacy. This doesn't seem like a a wise way to live. Paul's writings, if we're being honest, might make some of us break out in a bit of a cold sweat. And I want to ask, why is that? I want to acknowledge that it happens, but I want to ask, why is that? This is interesting, isn't it? We, We live in a world now that is very different and very similar to the world that that Paul was writing to in the the ancient world of Corinth, the Corinthians that Paul wrote this letter to. The world world of the Corinthians was saturated in sacrifice. Not not just the Israelites under the law, but everyone was involved in sacrifice and temple worship. In fact, if anything went wrong, the first thing that people would check would be, oh man, what have we been giving to the gods and has it been enough? If something's gone wrong in my life, what must have happened is I didn't bring an extravagant or a pleasing enough or a specific enough offering to the gods, to the temple, and as a result, I've got some suffering in my life. I need to change up what I'm giving to the gods to get them on side. The gods are angry, and so I've got to appease them, and then life will be fine. But, But it's a delicate balance to strike, because what you're giving to the gods is the very thing that you need to survive. You bring your grain, you bring your seed, you bring your livestock, and you give it to the gods. You offer it at the temple. But if you give too much, what do you have? If you give too much, you don't make it through the season because you gave all your grain to the gods, and you don't have any to sow, and so you don't get a harvest. But then if you don't give enough grain to the gods, then the the grain that you did sow, it it doesn't take, and and the harvest is ruined, and, and you're left with no food. So you give too much, and you put yourself out. You don't give enough and you put yourself out. It's, it's a horrible situation to be in that, that either way, you're motivated by, by scarcity. This view that there's not enough, so I better do all I can to make sure that I get what I need. I wonder, is that view, that, that feeling, there's not enough, so I better do all I can do to get what I need. Is that all that different from today? Right, how much do we need personally to feel safe and secure? Close your eyes for a moment. Imagine that. Imagine that sum. What is it for you? Like the yearly salary. This. If I earned this in a year, I'd be fine. If I earned this in a year, I'd be all good. Some of you are like, one million dollars would be nice. Thank you, brother. You know, it's interesting. You can open your eyes now. Uh, uh, My kind of career history is that for a long time, I didn't earn very much money. Mostly because I was doing a lot of volunteering. And volunteering, I'll tell you, if you're looking for financial tips, doesn't pay well financially. So just if you're wondering, that's uh, just, just a heads up. And, and so I wasn't earning a lot of money for a long time. And then, and then I landed in a job and I was earning all right. And within three years, my salary tripled, right? So I went from, from not earning much to all of a sudden, that figure for me, I was like, man, if I earned over $100,000, I would be comfortable. If I earned over, I'd, man, we could do whatever we wanted. I would be set. I would be happy. I would be fine. And, and I reached that figure, and then I passed that figure. And I was like, man, this is more than I know what to do. This, this is more than enough, except I still had that feeling. 
I still had that worry. Man, I don't know, what I'm, is this going to be enough? I still had that feeling of, of scarcity. Even once I'd, I'd passed the, the figure that I thought and I had the job security and I had the, the long-term plan and I knew that if I just kept on doing what I was doing, the salary was just going up. I didn't have to do anything special. I could be in the, in the place that I thought, man, this is what success looks like. And, and yet that scarcity, that worry, that fear stayed with me. Now, I'm not saying, you know, throw it all in, chuck in your Kiwi saver, and, 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 and it'll be all fine. But I am saying, how much of our life is spent worrying about potential futures? Man, if I don't earn this much, if we don't have this, if we just got here, then I'd be all right. And some of you are sitting here, and you're like, I don't worry about my potential future at all. Because sometimes we do the opposite. And I've also been in this camp, where rather than worrying about our potential futures, we just close our eyes. Well, do you know what? Future Jono is future Jono's problem. How's Jono going to retire? Don't know. Don't care. Can't think about it. Gives me an anxiety attack. So I'm just going to pretend that everything's going to be fine. I'm just going to spend now. And, and do you know what? I'm going to put it on the credit card. And future Jono's just going to have to figure this out. I hope he's got a better idea than I do because I don't know how it's going to work. And, and either approach that the hustle to amass, to feel in control, or the deny to avoid, to feel in control, are both motivated by fear. Fear that there's not enough. Just like in the ancient world, we come up against this, this idea of scarcity. And I want to say it's one thing to preach on serving, laying down our time and energy. It's one thing to preach on community, laying down our individualism and, and letting people in, or even holiness, laying down our body. But generosity, laying down our resource, by far this is the sermon that has kept me up the most in the, in the week's prepping wondering, man, how do I land this in such a way that people hear what I'm trying to say and, and not what we bring into it in the lens of fear that we see the world through? Because we ache for control, don't we? And, and the Bible teaches us that, that the generosity that the Bible teaches us, that, that Paul and Jesus speak of, it asks us to give up that control, to trust in God, because God sees resources and money differently than we do. Can, can I share two examples with you and, and then we'll land this? They're long examples, so buckle in. But they're great ones. They're great ones. It's, it's the best sermon you're going to hear this morning. Uh, so first example is when, when God frees the Israelites from Pharaoh. Everyone familiar with the story? Israelites have been imprisoned in Egypt. They come out of Egypt, freed by God from Pharaoh. Moses is leading them. There's some splitting of some water. Some of you might have done that on the way to church today. You were like, yeah, I split the Red Sea, and I drove right through. But they're, they're in the wilderness. And, and they're in the wilderness, and, and they're on their way to a place of more than enough. They're on their way to a place of promise, flowing with milk and honey. But on their way, they start to worry. Because they've been enslaved in Egypt for so long that, that they came to rely on, on what they had in Egypt. Now, in Egypt, it was horrible. In Egypt, they were subjected to an attempted genocide. They, they suffered. They didn't have enough. They were in poverty. But it was a known quantity. Their, their suffering was a known experience. And, and so once they're out in the wilderness, they start to worry about what they're going to eat, and they reframe the suffering that we're, they were in. And, and so the, in answer to the people's fears and complaints, something extraordinary happens. This, this bread-like uh, substance appears every morning. God uh, provides, and they say this statement, manhu, uh, which is that, that top word up there. The, the first one is, is who, and then the second Hebrew character is man, which essentially just means what is it? They come out one morning and there's this bread-like substance and the Bible differs in the way that it explains it and how it might taste. In some cases, it's kind of buttery and in some cases, it's kind of sweet, but it's this substance that's there every morning and this word mana is born. And, and every morning, the mana is there and the people pick it up and they have enough to eat. 
And, and, and so God starts to provide. But this experience is, is different for the Israelite people because never before have they received food, have they received bread as a free gift that they couldn't control, predict, plan for, or own. And so in this moment, God reestablishes, even when they aren't faithful, even when they're wondering if God is really there, God is faithful and God provides. And then three things happen that I think we can really relate to in Exodus chapter 16. First of all, the first thing happens is everyone has enough. This manna appears and every Israelite has enough to eat. But the second thing that happens is because in Egypt, food was a way that the Israelites were controlled, they're afraid of scarcity. They're afraid of not having enough. And so people start to hoard the manna. They start to, to try and keep on to it. But whenever they try and keep it for the next day, it turns sour and it, it rots. And then finally, Moses does this thing that flies exactly against the culture that they were in in this moment. And he says, you know what we ought to do is we're in the middle of the wilderness with no way of providing for ourselves, having to rely on God every day. We should take a day off. We should take a day every week in which we, we don't do anything, in which we don't gather the manna. And in fact, we'll gather twice as much the day before and we'll believe that God will keep it the next day, even though that never works. In, in which we don't try and travel, in which we don't try and look after anything, accomplish anything. We're going to take a Sabbath. Because a Sabbath means that there's enough bread. A Sabbath means that there's enough mana, there's enough food, there's enough, and we don't have to hustle every day of our lives. See, what does this have to do with our miracle offering? I believe that our relationship to money and to rest, to Sabbath, are direct indicators of our relationship to God. Jesus said it best in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 to 25. He says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It is life not more than food, and the body not more than clothes. Again, I just want to acknowledge that the, the words of Paul and then the words of Jesus here, they make us a little bit uncomfortable. To double down, let's go two more layers into the uncomfort. I, anyone uncomfortable enough yet? You're like, mercy, mercy. We're going, we're going more, right? Let's go one, one more, another hard story. Who enjoys hard stories in the Bible? Me too. Uh, so the, the story of the rich young ruler. One of the hard sayings of Jesus, one of the bits we like to skip over, can be found in Mark chapter 10. And, and to surmise it, uh, a rich young man comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to be in this kingdom of God, this, this new thing that you're talking about? And they have a conversation, and the conversation ends in an uncomfortable way. Verse 21, in your translation, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. See, again, confusing scripture on confusing scripture, right? Well, like, give me some more. I have a hope and a future. I have plans for you to prosper. And you know, I want more of those scriptures, please, John. These ones make me uncomfortable. Can we please stop? Because it's interesting. Jesus, Jesus says this to the man, but there's no place in the Bible, no place anywhere else that we're commanded to go into voluntary poverty. There's no place, right? Jesus doesn't quote scripture, does he? He doesn't say to the man, as it says in the law, go and sell everything that you have and, and give it to the poor, because it doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. So what is Jesus doing in this interaction? And ultimately, what are we trying to do today as we're talking about generosity? In some translations, there's this moment after the young man has gone away, and if you have an old King James translation, you'll see it there. The disciples turn to Jesus, and they essentially say, what's going on? Like, what are you doing? You're crazy. 
To which Jesus replies, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, Paul doubles down on this. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap for the love of money of the root of all kinds of evil. See, what, what Jesus is, is saying is that the trouble with this man is not that he has money. When he talks to Zacchaeus, he tells him to sell half of his money, take half of his money to pay off the poor in his debts. Or other times when he talks to Nicodemus, another wealthy man in the Bible, he doesn't bring up money at all. So it's not necessarily money that's the issue. Instead, it's the man's attitude towards money. What, what Jesus is saying to him essentially to this man is money has become your trust. Money has become the thing that makes you feel like you have a place in the world. It's become your defining factor. It's what makes you who you are. It's become your identity. You're not living in trust of God, that he is an abundant God. You're living in scarcity. Money has become your God. Will you get rid of it? Because what do we think money is? You know, it's interesting, the, the, the more money you have, the more of the world you control, essentially. It's the best way that I can describe money. Money is something that you have to take care of. Money represents resource that you're responsible for. Money brings into your power more things for you to look after. And this is one of the reasons why money actually gives us so much dignity and satisfaction. It's because we have something to look after. We have something to care for, which is something built into our very soul. And having responsibility for resource isn't bad. The problem is that we so easily create an idol of money, right? An, an idol is, is essentially just a good thing that we decide to turn into a God. An idol is a good thing that we put in the center. And so Jesus challenges this man to see how he could get him free from the idolatry of money. I'll get the keys players, uh, players, just one. I'll settle for a singular keys player. But he, he challenges him to, to free him from this idolatry of money. And I believe that all of us can learn from this, whether you're currently responsible for a lot or a little, but because he doesn't just say, give away all your money. He says to him, give away all your money and follow me. Right? Essentially, he's saying, I want you to see that if you have me, you have everything that you need. Maybe, maybe Jesus is wanting to say that to some of us today. Do you see that you have me and in that having me, you have everything you need? You know, I think it's interesting, for, for all that I know, if the, if the young man had said yes, Jesus would have done the very same thing that God did to Abraham and Isaac. Speaking of uncomfortable passages of Scripture. One more, last one, and you'll leave here feeling dazed. That's why I got coffee after the service, so you have something to, a hot cup of something to hold on to while you're feeling traumatized. But, but remember, you know, uh, God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac, your son. Fairly big ask. God said that to me, I would have some questions. And so Abraham says, God, this makes no sense. This goes against what I understand of you. Where does it say anything in the, in, in the scripture about human sacrifice? This makes no sense. There's nothing in the Bible about it, but I'll do it if you say so. In fact, the uh, theologians would tell us that Abraham went up the mountain believing that even if Isaac died, God would bring him back to life. God, I'm going to follow you in obedience to this, but this cannot be the way that this ends because this is my son and you love my son. And what's more, this is the, the promise that you've given me and I trust in you. And the very second that he's willing, God says, no, no, look, you don't have to sacrifice Isaac. I never wanted you to sacrifice Isaac. I wanted to see if you would. It, it was your attitude. I needed you to see that Isaac wasn't your God, that he holds the promise, but that I'm the promise giver. And I wonder if this, in this interaction with the rich young man, if maybe a similar thing wouldn't have happened here, that the, the rich young man couldn't have said, look, I don't get it. I don't see any place in the Bible that it says that I need to give away everything that I own. But if you say that I should do it, Jesus, I'll trust you. 
Who knows what would have happened? You know, it's, it's interesting that the, some traditions say that this was Barnabas, this rich young ruler. And, and, and Barnabas went away sad, but, but potentially he went away sad because he was going to go and sell everything that he owned. And maybe what he sold and the resource that he gathered financed the establishment of the early church. We don't know. Because actually what happened after the request isn't the point. And if it was included, it would distract us from the request. That Jesus is saying, would you be willing to put it down? Because everyone who follows Jesus must put down whatever we've been holding in place of him. We need to decide. You know, I think Christians, we're, we're all too good. We have a long history of, of squeezing Jesus out of our, our real life and into a small private place where he's a little savior on the mantle. He's a figure that we, we hold for the things that we need, but we don't let him into the rest of it. But to do this is to ignore what the, the Bible really says. You know, I think it's interesting. The church is explosively growing in poor countries and countries where the church is oppressed. The, the church in Iran is the fastest growing church in the world now and probably in human history. And sometimes I stop and I wonder why. Maybe it's that their idols are more overt, more obvious less baked into culture and seen as a good thing, that they can lay them down. Or maybe it's simply that their choice is, is more apparent. You can do this and have an easy life and not be oppressed, or you can follow Jesus. And, and once they've chosen, it's there for them. See, I wonder, what if we viewed giving as, as spiritual warfare, as spiritual formation? Money isn't bad, but it very easily allows us to feel that we can live a life without relying on mana, without God, that we can do it on our own. I'm almost done, but, but I want to say, this is why we teach uh, tithing. And, and this might have been in the back of your mind, this, this whole sermon. You're like, I tithe? Why are you asking for more money? Fairly brazen. You're like, what's, what's going on here? I already bring my tithe into the storehouse, or, or I know other people do, and, and I'm intending to, but I don't currently. And, and I want to say, tithing is a biblical practice. It goes back to redeeming the firstborn son and giving the first of your harvest. And I also want to say, prepare yourself for this. Tithing is not generous. Some of you are offended. It's all right. We can talk about this after the service. I'm more than willing. Tithing is not generous because essentially what, what tithing is, is tithing is a spiritual practice to remind us that we are not the originator and sustainer of life. And we don't want you to tithe from an obligation because that defeats the very purpose of tithing. But tithing isn't meant to be your generosity. It's a way of saying, God, all of this is yours. I give you 10% as a way of reminding myself of that. And then what you do with the remaining 90% is generous or not what you do with what is left over because the principle of tithing is that none of it was yours in the first place. You give back 10% to remind yourself. So you're not being generous in giving that 10%. You're giving God what is His in the first place. And so I wanna say, if you're here today and I'm speaking on this miracle offering and you are not yet tithing, start there. Because you can't really be generous in a miracle offering. You can't really be generous in giving something more to God if you haven't given what is His to Him in the first place. I don't think that we can be generous with the rest until we start tithing because generosity is dependent on what we do with the remaining 90%. Right, Matthew chapter 10, verse eight, Jesus says, freely you have received, freely give. 
God is a generous and abundant God and we are made in the image of God. And so something in us comes alive when we give. And giving is the best way that I can think of to dethrone an idol in our heart. Giving is an act of spiritual warfare. Giving in a way that, that costs us something. Giving in a way that says, oh man, this is, this is hard, but I'm not trusting in this. I'm trusting in God. I might have to have a few less coffees in the week or whatever it might be, but I'm giving this over. And we're not giving to earn. We're not giving to say, God, look, you must love me because I'm giving enough. Surely now you accept me. God accepted you before you gave anything. And God will continue to accept you if you give nothing. We do not earn God's love. We're not convincing Him to, to come and love us. It's not a membership fee to belonging in God's family. We are accepted without doing anything. But when we create space in our heart, when we move something from an incorrect space, we create space for God. And I've given previously in miracle offerings, and I've got to say, for me, it's been a, an amount of obligation. I mean, I feel like I need to give enough that I don't feel guilty. Appeasing guilt is not the reason we give. If you're here today and you feel that way, then I don't want you to give from a place of guilt. It entirely misses the point. In fact, you lose on both accounts. You lose some money from your bank account, which sucks. And then you haven't actually stepped into the blessing of rewiring your heart. It's like paying a gym membership and not going to the gym. You're losing in both places. And yet paying the gym membership and going to the gym is harder. But it actually gives us what we're seeking for. When we give and we give in such a way, and again, this is not, I'm not saying like, hey, take your amount and add an extra zero to it. Only you know what costs you. Only you know what is the thing in you that actually dethrones the idol in your heart that makes you say, hey, actually, this makes me feel like I'm not trusting in money, I'm trusting in God. But this is the reason that we do the miracle offering. Not because we need to raise funds, not because we need to get something done. God owns the cattle on a thousand hill. If God wants to do it, I have faith that He will resource us for it. And it's not about a few people in the room being extravagantly generous. Although if you're here today and you feel God prompting you to do that, then I encourage you to follow that prompting. But it's something for all of us to step into. We're gathering hearts, not resource. And as we gather hearts, we give them to the only one who we can trust our hearts with. And so for some of us here today, God is asking us, Jesus is saying something convicting to us. It's not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. And finally, I wanna say, give joyfully. And, and this hurts me to say, but if you are here today and you are too jaded to give to church, you've had too many bad experiences with church or, or you feel like, man, I just can't give joyfully to church because I feel like you're twisting my arm, then don't give here. And it hurts me to say, because I believe that here is the very best place to give. That when you give here, that, that we are investing in something that matters, that we are building a legacy, that you are sowing into the future, that we're building a generational house that serves and empowers a house of worship and salvation, of, of freedom and generosity. But if you can't give joyfully here, you're not, it's not your only option. The act is not just bringing it to, to God, although that is the best place to bring it, but maybe you need to dethrone the idol by giving somewhere else. Find a charity. And again, don't just give a token amount. Give sacrificially to that charity. Dethrone something in your life. I want to say it doesn't have the same blessing attached when we bring it to God, right? But, but when we give, at least it would be a, an act of spiritual warfare to say, this is a thing that doesn't own me. This does not control me. This does not determine my, my life. You don't have to give. 
But, but I want to encourage you, if you feel like you can't for a fear of scarcity, and again, I'm not speaking to actual debt or poverty, but, but if you feel like you can't because I don't know how I'm going to get through it, then is that how things are meant to be? And could it be that today is an opportunity to, to dethrone the idol? Maybe bow your heads and close your eyes as I finish. Isn't it interesting that, that Jesus says to pick your master, God or money? Pick your trust. If money is God, you are God. And we live in fear and in worry. And so to finish where I started, it says in, in Corinthians, give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so I'm not asking you to give today. By all means, if, if, if you feel, if you've come, if you feel led to, then, then please do. I'd never want to stand in the way of your generosity. But, but my encouragement is if you don't yet have a pledge form, take one from the hosts as you go out the doors or grab one from the help desk. Take that home, put it on the fridge and think about it. Pray about it. Ask God about it. As Paul says, give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but, but cheerfully. Give as a pledge, as a one-off, however you want to give. The way you give matters much less than the heart with which you give. As an act of worship, as an act of spiritual warfare, give in a way that dethrones the money. Given away that dethrones that, that attitude of control and scarcity. When you're opening your eyes, I want to leave us with a provoking statement. The whole thing's been fairly provoking. We'll double down. This is uh, to draw back the curtain. I'm, I'm breaking the cardinal rule of preaching. Oh. Cardinal rule of preaching is basically to, to not share anything you're still currently really struggling with. Right? Don't, don't expose your mess on stage, right? It's a good rule generally. But as I was preparing this message, I, I came across a, a, a statement, a, a question that, that, that really kind of messed me up, which is hard when you think that you're in a pretty good place on generosity and you're going to preach to the church about generosity to then have a statement that messes you up about generosity. Uh, it shakes you a little bit. But I wanted to bring this to you because I think that, that this is God's word for us today. Rather than sitting here today and, and, and across the next week and asking God, how much do I need to give? What would happen if we reframe? What would happen if we took it from, God, how much do I need to give? And we reframe, God, this is all yours anyway. What if instead we asked, how much do I need to keep? And to me, when I came across that question, it, it kind of changed my whole outlook. In a way that I'd, I'd been preaching all around it, but that simple thing of it's not about what I give, it's about what I keep, made what I was giving go from seeing like, oh man, I'm being so generous giving this, to oh, am I still being generous if I'm keeping this? And again, I'm not advocating that we go into poverty. I'm not advocating that we make poor financial decisions. But if we start to view everything we have as not as ours, but as God's, then we start to ask God, what do I need to hold on to? And what do I need to give back to you? God, not how much do I need to give, but how much do I need to keep? God, where in my life is this a controlling factor and where do I need to, need to give it back to you? Not trusting in my ability to amass mana, but in your fresh provision every day. Church, can you stand to your feet? Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 